welcome in to episode two of the Mavs Draft podcast. Uh, my name is Jared Katz, and I'm alongside Mr. Mavs Draft himself, Richard Stamen. Richard, what's going on? Not too much, man. Just keep uh, grinding these draft, uh, this draft film away. <laughs> How about you? I hear you, man. Uh, doing well, doing well. Um, so obviously from the title, uh, you know, we're going to be doing LaMelo Ball and James Wiseman today. Uh, which should be kind of interesting because both guys uh, have pretty interesting storylines uh, going into their draft year. So let's start with LaMelo Ball, uh, just get right into it. Um, so what's, first of all, where, where do you have LaMelo Ball ranked in, in your, and I know it, it's pinned on Twitter if you want to see his entire list, but uh, where do you have LaMelo at this moment? Yeah, so he is my number one point guard um, in the class. So he's my number three player right behind our last two guys, Anthony Edwards and Onyeko Okongwu. Okay. Uh, towards the end of this, we'll kind of talk about why we have players ranked where they where we have them. I actually have LaMelo ranked first overall. Um, so obviously first point guard, first guard, but my, my first overall player. So... LaMelo's got one of the more interesting backgrounds, uh, obviously been in the spotlight since he was a freshman being Lonzo Ball's brother. But uh, can you kind of catch us up on on his entire situation here? Yeah. So for all the uh, the pop culture fans out there, you might recognize him from a really famous TV show, uh, Ball in the Family. Uh, <laughs> no, but for real. Was, he, that like uh, a, was that a Facebook <laughs> show? I yeah, think. I think I think it was right at like the peak of. BBB, and then it just all went downhill from there. <laughs> right, right. Carry on. <laughs> he, uh, his most popular, how I first heard of him beyond his brother, was I think he scored was 92 or 94 in a freshman game, I think, and it, with Chino Hills, I think is what it was, and uh, that was really when he came onto the scene, and a lot of it was cherry-picked, admittedly, but uh, he still scored 90-plus in a high school game. That was his really big coming on to the moment. Um that was just his moment, I guess, excuse me. But after that, you know, he went to Lithuania, played in uh, played in that league. I think his dad organized. And then he played in the Junior Ballers of America uh, for the L.A. Ballers, uh, a very original name. And then he went over down <laughs> to uh, the NBL and played for, I think it's the Illawarra Hawks. Yep. yep. Yeah. Yeah. So he, yeah, he's so... had a long journey and he's 18 years old. Yeah, it, which is really interesting because, you know, he's got multiple years of pro ball under his belt already, which is rare for American prospects. You, you do see it sometimes with other overseas guys, um, you know, some guys just off the top of my head that we're going to talk about eventually, guys like Killian Hayes and Theo Maladon, um, Denny Avdia, you know, guys who have, you know, had those multiple years of, uh, of, of pro ball, but you know, being in the spotlight at such a young age, you kind of see him now and he's, he's totally mellowed out. He almost looks like a, a totally different kid, but it, you know, I think it's kind of cool to see that, you know, yeah, no which, pun intended on the name. Yeah, the yeah, I was, I was going to make a joke off that. <laughs> I was going to ask if he was mellowed out, but yeah, no, he, he's really gone under the radar. You know, his dad hasn't talked about him nearly as much as he did about Lonzo or even Leangelo, which kind of gives me hope that, you know, he thinks that he's the real deal. And hopefully this means his dad is taking a back seat, uh, which we've seen for Lonzo has been really important. Uh, I know I underestimated the importance of that come draft time in 2017. Uh, but things like that do matter. And his dad has done a really good job of preparing him, honestly, uh, by, like you said, I mean, you don't see these this by American prospects at all. It's very rare. Uh, so, I mean, he's I think he's got the intangibles. Uh, he knows how to be a pro. I mean, he's got his head on right. And those are two really important things to have as an 18-year-old that's going to be 19 for his whole rookie season, uh, assuming that the NBA is at normal uh, pace. Yeah, he's also grown a ton over the years. Obviously, you know, we first got to know him as, as a young freshman. But I remember a video came out where, where, like, the three ball brothers were just, like, dancing together. It was like a vine or something. I don't know. Not Probably not a vine. That was probably gone. But probably something TikTok. like that. <laughs> no, but TikTok wasn't around yet. It was between Vine and TikTok. <laughs> and uh, and he and uh, Lamelo and Lonzo were dancing next to each other. And I was like, holy, holy crap, Lamelo's taller than Lonzo. 
and and so I, I got him listed at six seven one ninety. Um, I don't have a wingspan on him, but what do you think his wingspan is? Six ten, six eleven? Yeah, I mean it's close to seven foot because I mean if you look at Lonzo's arms, they just dangle. So I'm assuming Lamelo got the same jeans and they look long as well. And that I I also thought some guys with long arms had short arms and some guys with shorter arms have long arms. So maybe I'm not the ju- best judge. Uh, but I think he's got close to a seven-foot wingspan, if I had to guess. But we'll never know the official record for him. Yeah, well, and he's lanky, so it makes him look even longer than he really is. But he is long. I, I would venture to guess he has a plus wingspan. Um, I got him down for 12 games that he played in the NBL this year, averaging about 31 minutes a game. Um, shot just under 38% from the field on about 17 attempts per game, just under seven. Uh, he only made him at about a 25% clip. Uh, but what was encouraging was on four free throw attempts per game, he shot over 72%, uh, good for 17 points, seven and a half rebounds, seven assists, a steal. Uh, and he actually limited his turnovers to about two and a half per game, uh, which is something we'll talk about in just a minute. Um, so when you look at, uh, sorry, at LaMelo, you see a a lead point guard, right? Yeah, for sure. And, and he's a unique lead point guard too. I mean, eventually we're going to get to the comparisons, but he's really unique for an 18 year old to, in the way he, just the overall way he plays. I mean, his handles are really quick. Um, he's got incredible basketball IQ. I mean, that, that kind of runs in the family. Um, but he just knows how to lead an offense efficiently, and he's only 18, so it's very obviously going to get better. So one thing I noticed that that was different between Lonzo and Lamelo was was more of a you know pass first point guard who could kind of score, whereas Lamelo is definitely a score first point guard, but he does also have that elite vision and playmaking ability. Would you kind of agree with that assessment? Yeah, and, and Lamelo is going to be way more of a scorer than Lonzo is. I mean, I think Lonzo, uh, off the top of my head, his rookie year scoring was, what, nine points per game, something. And and ju- and a lot of people are just going to do this. They're going to compare them naturally. I mean, we're doing it right now. But they're pretty dissimilar. Like, they're, comp- you know, I, I'd call Lamelo a score first point guard. Even though he's, I agree, to an extent, pass first, he's a score first in an overall sense. Yeah, so when you when you look at Lamelo, you know we talked about the the length being a huge plus. He's real thin though. Um, what, how do you kind of view him athletically? So his first step is almost non-existent. It's it's really bad. So to me, that raises obvious issues about how's he going to create off the dribble. Um, that's something that will have to be overcome in other areas, whether it's quick shooting, um, just overall figuring out how to abuse pick and rolls, things like that. Um, but he does have a really poor first step. I mean, it's his burst is really, really subpar to say the least. Yeah. And I would, I would agree. Um, I think it's enough and we'll kind of get into, into why a little bit later, but I, I would classify him as more smooth than explosive. I, I think he's he's decently quick moving laterally, uh, which I think is really going to help him. But I, I kind of you know his his ability to 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 maneuver his body in in a unique way to slow himself down, um, you know. But but yeah, I don't really see him as a traditionally explosive athlete. Yeah, and that's really well said because something. You know, as Mavs fans and Mavs, you know, we watch a lot of Mavs games. Uh, we see the effectiveness of slowing down being more, just as important, if not more important, than speeding up uh, with Luka Doncic because he's killer at it. And if, if uh, excuse me, if Lamelo can uh, can do that at a really well, like a just overall do it well, he's going to completely negate all those weaknesses athletically. Yeah, and and the way he moves is going to be super important for him. Um, so let's let's talk about his ability to score the ball. You know, we talked about him as a scorer. The first thing that jumps out is that wonky looking jump shot. So <laughs> why don't you break that down for us a little bit? Yeah, the elbow sticks out. Like it's not it's not ideal. Both uh, elbows stick out. <laughs> I wouldn't call it like a hitch. Like you know, 
we criticize some other people in his family for having. Uh, but it's not pretty at all. Like his form is really bad, uh, and it doesn't help that his shot selection is bad either. Uh, it's a pretty terrible combination, honestly, to just be frank. But, uh, I mean, he has touch, which really, really matters. Uh, you know, I mean, the ball comes off smoothly and everything like that. Figuring out a place that can fix his form. We've seen teams uh, fix players' form all the time. Uh, you just kind of hope he's not a Michael Kidd Gilchrist where the shot's just completely unfixable. Yeah, and the good thing with LaMelo is you know he has range, right? So you know he he's capable of pulling up from wherever, and he's not afraid to. So it's something that you need to be cautious of if you're guarding him. Uh, and I think just that threat alone is, is going to help him quite a bit. Um, but totally, you know, he gets his offhand involved in the shot. Um, really doesn't get a ton of lift when, when he's shooting. Uh, his feet are often uh, turned completely away from the basket. Um, and so I'm not sure he's really ever a guy that, um, you know, is going to, you know, kind of be an off-movement shooter. But um, he, he's very creative with how he gets his shots off. Uh, you know, one thing I kind of noticed was he'll, he'll shoot a floater from basically three-point range. <laughs> and and you mentioned the the touch though like that goes in because of his elite touch. Yeah, and that's the stuff that I think translates a little bit more than form. Like I'd personally rather have someone who keeps, you know, who has terrible form but man, like it comes off so smooth than rather than someone who has like, you know, there's Ben Macklemore. Ben Macklemore I don't think has great touch. He has beautiful form, but he just doesn't have the touch and he's at most an average shooter from 3. And and that kind of stuff matters. Yeah, I agree. You, you can fix the form. You, you can't fix the natural feel for the basketball, for sure. Um, so how else do you kind of see him scoring at, at the next level? So I think he can still create on his own because while he isn't the quickest player uh, off the initial burst, he has really nice handles. Like he can break down his defender so well. He knows how to manipulate defenses uh, and that stuff just cannot be understated um it's or excuse me overstated it's uh it's really important just to know how to beat defenses like there's so many guards that can they can get to the rim no problem one-on-one but can they break down a defense whole different question and he knows how to do that he has an incredible basketball iq especially on offense uh that i think that overall feel is just going to get him points like it's nothing in particular with the skill set or anything but the combination of his handles and um, and feel for the game are just really going to open up so many avenues for him. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think he's going to be capable of being a three-level scorer uh, if if that if he can kind of tone down the mechanics and and revamp his shot. Um, but I think there's no reason he can't score from anywhere on the floor. Um, one area of concern for me might be his ability to finish around the basket, though. Um, you know, we talked about him being under 200 pounds at six, seven. Um, he's very thin and in my opinion, he's going to need to get a lot stronger when going to the basket. Yeah. I was also going to bring that up as well. Cause I remember in 2018, you know, Trey young was a decent finisher, uh, at most, I would say at the rim at Oklahoma. And I think in the NBA, since he's gotten a little bit stronger, he's gotten to, to be a better scorer at the rim. Uh, and the strength cannot be underestimated there. And with length, too, because length matters, you know, just finishing over defenses overall and at right. the rim and beating those taller guys. Uh, I think adding strength is really going to open up his whole game. I mean, even his mid-range shot to an extent as well. Maybe he'll get some post-fade, something like that. Right. And, you know, we you just mentioned kind of finishing over people. Yeah, he's long. Uh, but without that bounce you know especially in traffic to really get up and finish over people i'm going to come back to that floater again because that's going to kind of be his meal ticket like he's super crafty around the rim and you know you'll see him you know take off on one side and and reverse to the other and use the basket as protection and, and that's all you know super important for his development but i really think that that floater is going to kind of be his his bread and butter once once he gets into the paint when it comes to finishing uh, finishing over guys. Yeah, and we see a lot of guys in the league that don't even have a go-to floater, and it really reduces just how good they can be at the rim. And again, 
uh, I think that comes into play with his feel. Like he knows how to um, just how to use it well and his touch and everything like that. A lot of guys don't. They can beat a guy again one on one, but they get a help defender on him. That's where the floater comes into play. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, we know the ball's going to be in his hands quite a bit. Um, do you see any ability to play off the ball for him? Not, early on, it's going to be tough. Um, it's going to be really tough for him to play off ball. Uh, they need to. He needs to go somewhere that first thing to do is work on the shooting because that's going to be far and away the most important thing if a team wants to win early on. So if he goes to Atlanta, in theory, I love the two-guard combination with Trey Young. But, um, I mean, beyond the defensive issues that we'll touch on, he really can't play together with him. Maybe you stagger him in the way that Harden and Chris Paul were done. Uh, where they play like 15, 20 minutes a game together. Everything else is different or off of the court with each other. Um, but it'd be really hard to kind of have a lead guard that's already there that's dominant with the ball. Like yeah, I, I think I'm mostly in agreement, you know, until the shot kind of comes around. Um, but I, I do think he moves well without the ball because you talked about the basketball IQ you know, he knows where he needs to be on the floor, whether he has the ball or not. You see him relocate quickly, you know, something that Steph's really good at. So, um, you know, I wouldn't totally write it off, but if you're drafting LaMelo, you're drafting him to kind of be your, your engine, don't you think? Yeah, you're not you're not taking him to be the clay to the Steph Curry, you know. You're taking him to be your alpha dog and just lead guard in general. For sure. Um Something that I find super interesting and, and intriguing about LaMelo's game is his ability in the pick and roll. So um, what do you what do you like or or maybe not like about his his pick and roll ability? So on on my notes on him, I mean, the biggest strength I think I have is his pick and roll ability. And yet again, this comes back to his just overall intelligence on the court. Like he's just so smart at manipulating defense. He knows how to wait on those pick and rolls. He knows when to go. Um, and his pass accuracy on those is incredible. He can throw over the defense. You know, he can really throw those bounce passes in. He knows when to mix it up. Uh, and his passing in general is incredible already. And then you combine it with his IQ. That's just where it thrives the most. And which I think really shows off how valuable those two areas are for him. Yeah. And I think that's where you kind of see that, um, that ability to slow things down really come into play where he'll come off the screen and he's so good at just feeling the guy on his hip and keeping him there, giving his big time to roll or pop. He's always aware of all 10 guys on the court, knows where his weak side options are. Um, you know, again, the floater, if, if the, if the big is sagging off playing that drop coverage, I think the, the pick and roll, uh, ability with, with LaMelo is is very special, if I'm being honest. Um, and the passing in general, I think, in a, like, it's obviously super highly regarded, but in a way, I almost feel that it's underrated. And what I mean by that is, you know, people see the fancy passes that he makes, and, you know, he likes to, to have fun and make those flashy passes, but just the extra passing you know to to the guy in the corner or you know just in transition the quick hit aheads like he's so good at not just finding those passes but the accuracy that he that he puts on them yeah and he can throw with both hands too which is just so incredible to me that a lot of guys you know they do the one-handed passes they're doing it with their dominant hand lamella you wouldn't be able to tell if you watched only his passing if he was right-handed or left-handed. I mean, it's it's truly special, and he can make those passes 90 feet, 5 feet, 30 feet, anything. He can make these cross-court passes, um, you know, half-court, all of it. He can do everything passing. I mean, I, I think he's – I mean, would you agree he's very easily the best passer in the class? Yeah, no question. Yeah, and like a tier of his own. I mean, who, who's the best passer you've seen since him? His brother? I mean, it'd be hard to say uh, – maybe Luca. Luca. Yeah, I, Luca too, I, yeah. I mean, Lonzo was like seen as a generational passer, and he probably is. Luca is probably the closest, but yeah, Lonzo otherwise, one of those two. And to be in that company, I mean, those are two of the top assist getters in the league. You kind of touched a little bit on his ball handling, but that's kind of one of the reasons that I think he is going to be successful scoring despite the lack of a first step, is he's so creative with the ball. 
And again, he he's limited his turnovers once he got into this pro system to just two and a half per game, which considering how much they relied on him, and let's be honest, that Illawarra team is not good. No. <laughs> not good. <laughs> and so, you know, he's he's having to kind of keep that in mind as he's playing. Um, but but his ability to get to wherever he needs to get on the floor, you know, I think he has that because of his ability to kind of keep the ball on a string. Yeah, and for someone 6'8", uh, that's a 18-year-old, and he was 17 for part of the season, um, two and a half turnovers is incredible. Like, that, yeah. is, that is absolutely In a remarkable. pro league? Yeah. With how it, much he had the ball in, the in his hands? Yeah, you don't see that in the NCAA where, uh, I mean, even Anthony Edwards, I think, had like three-something turnovers, and that's against worse competition probably. Okay, so let's look at the other side of the ball here, uh, <laughs> defense. So, in general, talk about LaMelo's defense. I mean, we can go the long route, or we can just uh, do this in two seconds. I, I mean, it's not- I think this is something we're actually going to disagree on a little bit. Really? Yeah. Really. See, I, I think it, the worst part is not all. So for me, it's the effort. It's the effort in pick and roll defense. The pick and roll defense is a lot of his weight. I think I think he can be easily crushed in the screens. Um, but his effort on defense, he knows he puts 90 percent in on offense, 10 percent on defense. You know, it's and for him, all it is is effort. I mean, I think if he put 50 percent, 50 percent effort on defense, uh, you would see a world of a difference. It's something like that. He doesn't even have to, you know be trying as hard as he possibly can on defense every time to be good he knows what to do he just chooses not to uh and also he's 18 so I give that a little bit more of a pass than a lot of other guys yeah I, so I'll, I'll agree with you on the motor um I think it's better than his reputation um you know makes it seem uh, I think look are there times where they're down 25 and he just kind of packs it in like yeah that, yeah. that happens um <laughs> But I'll be honest with you, I, I was expecting him to to just kind of be, you know, patrolling the middle, looking for steals, not really caring. Um, but as long as they were still in the game, I saw someone who was engaged defensively. I really did. Um, do I think he's going to make the leap that Lonzo did? Probably not. Um, you know, Lonzo kind of realized that he needs that defense for him to to have a legitimate role in the NBA at this point with his inability to score. LaMelo's going to be scoring way more and and isn't going to be tasked with being up those those top guys, but I think he's got the tools because he has the lateral quickness. We talked about the length. I think there's no reason he can't guard one through three um, on the ball, and, and like you mentioned, off the ball, he knows exactly where he needs to be, and you see him playing those passing lanes, and you know, again, I just think it comes down to is he going to mature mentally to the point where that motor develops and he's he's serviceable on defense. And if he gets there, you know, then I think we have a pretty special player on our hands. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, if he becomes a winner on defense, yeah, you've got the best player in the class. I don't think there's too much debate on that. And I think another thing that would add a lot is, I mean, if he's getting stronger, I would think that would help him. I mean, personally, like for me, uh, like if I got a lot stronger, I would want to, you know, shut guys down on defense because a lot of defense on ball is strength. You know, if you can shut them, drive completely up, then, yeah, why wouldn't you want to use that? So I think that's something that also would be, you know, helpful in four years. We're going to be talking about him completely different as a defender than we are now. And I, I don't think he's a finished product on defense at all. Like I didn't mean to imply that or anything like that. Uh, obviously just like the first year, I just don't see him being positive. Now I don't see him being Trey Young, Darius Garland level bad, but like he's going to be a negative on defense as most rookies are. Yeah, probably. I, I do think, you know, he, he rotates well defensively. He knows where he needs to be. Um, he, he might have a little bit of trouble with on ball defense against stronger guys. Um, you know, you kind of mentioned that, um, but but I, I actually see a very realistic outcome where he's a serviceable defender um, because we saw it at the NBL level where he'll he'll step up and 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 put the clamps on someone. And and I think you touched on it. I mean, the team defense is there, the rotations, uh, knowing where to be. That stuff is honestly just as important, sometimes, if not more, 
important than on-ball defense of, you know, guarding someone one-on-one. Right. And as a rebounder, you know, we talked about it. I think it was over seven rebounds a game. Uh, he, he's just a ball magnet, man. Yeah, no, he, just like, uh, I mean, he knows how to read the ball really well. Uh, no pun intended. Uh, but <laughs> no, he knows how to read the ball off the rim. Uh, he just has a nose for getting rebounds and bringing it up himself. Almost a sense of Russell Westbrook in that regard. Uh, just the same way he loves, you know, getting those 50-50 balls. Yeah, and I, I love how he'll he'll take the ball off the rim and he's immediately looking for that long outlet to try and get an yep. easy layup. And I, I think he'll he'll get quite a few of those. Um, you know, kind of like how you know Kevin Love used to hit LeBron. Uh, or Kyrie in Cleveland when he, he would just get the ball and make one of those full court baseball passes. So, um, you know, we've seen him do that at, really since he was 14. Uh, it's always been a part of his game. So, um, you know, that, that rebounding, those rebounding instincts, I think are going to really pan out for him. Um, you know, we talked about his IQ just off the charts, uh, really on both sides of the floor. Um, I want to revisit the shot selection uh, just because I want to reemphasize how trash that Illawarra team was. <laughs> and, but I, I will say, I, I thought we we've seen quite a bit of growth as he's progressed into a pro system from his time of, you know, running gun at Chino Hills where he can settle down and facilitate an offense and, that, that was one of the big questions about Lonzo was because, you know, even at UCLA, they were a running gun team. It was, can this guy run an offense? Um, so I think it's just good to see that, that he can do that. Would you, would you agree with that? Yeah. And something I saw this on Twitter today, I don't remember who it's from. So I'm just going to apologize in advance if I stole your content and you're listening to this, but uh, I saw someone today say, you know, they compared him to Lonzo as a passer, someone had, and, uh, and they had said, like, yeah, Lonzo may have just overall better passing ability, uh, but in the half court, I mean, LaMelo blows him out of the water. Lonzo's greatest damages at UCLA were throwing way over the defense, you know, high-rising passes uh, in transition, kind of like we just talked about with looking up, but he couldn't create in the half court quite like LaMelo can, which goes into the handles and things like that. Um, but, I mean, his, overall, his basketball IQ just really helps him create. Yeah, for sure. So, you know, you mentioned you have him ranked third on your board. So what, you know, for me, I have him number one. So what's what's keeping him from that top spot, in your opinion? Man, it's honestly, I, I can dismiss the defense. It's not really a huge issue for me. It's really just not buying the jump shot yet, um, just because it's such an overhaul. I still think he'll be good um, because that's for about to get into you know some comparisons uh, like, i have no question about that i don't think you see him as a boomer bust kind of guy you don't find high iq guys like him with his age uh, as boomer bust it's just boom or middle ground for him right and I, I think that's what's keeping him up there like i said though he would be number one if it wasn't for the jump shot yeah no that's totally fair um i think i buy the shot being reasonable enough uh and the reason i actually have him ahead of of Edwards, who I know is your number one, is essentially just the appetite for risk. You know, you were kind of saying boom or bust versus boom or middle ground. And, you know, I, I mentioned it on the Edwards episode um, last time that, you know, I am a bit concerned if he's going to if he's going to get there. Um, whereas LaMelo, you know, if he doesn't get there, he's still going to be a very serviceable playmaker. Yeah. Um, so. Do you have a comp for LaMelo? Because I've heard several that I think are interesting. So I have like three guys as where I see his floor. Uh, okay. I'm just going to get shades of. I'm not directly comparing them, uh, but there are three of guys. Course. So a little bit of Markel Fultz from this year. Uh, obviously, Fultz is a better okay. defender. But offensively, okay. really similar. You know, teams really didn't respect him. He still shot almost 30% from three. Uh, and by the end of, you know, before the hiatus, teams were closing out on him. Like, they weren't just, like, a fault. Like, you know, uh, another guy, Raymond Felton, a taller Raymond Felton, of course. Um, sure. Someone who I thought was a really good player, you know, in his time in Charlotte and New York. And then I got a really good one uh, that I think this might be the most accurate floor, uh, which is Tyreek Evans before the drugs. 
of course. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I can see that kind of the, yeah. the all-around ability, like scorer who can definitely facilitate. I like that. My issue, the only thing is like that. The reason I put that as a floor is because Evans isn't a, wasn't a winning player. I think Glenn would be. That would just be if he comes empty stats. Uh, my high end outcome, and this may seem like a like a slap, but I actually really like this player, and I think he should have been an almost all star this year, but he kind of faded right before the voting and all that started or came in. Is Spencer Dinwiddie like a taller Spencer Dinwiddie? If that dude was three inches taller, that dude's a no question all star. He's a medium finisher at the rim, um, and if you know, you boosted that finishing 5% at the rim, you got a whole different player. I see him kind of same outcome, 32, 33% from three. Uh, but I think someone like that is an all-star in the league. I like that. That's a good comparison. Who do you uh, have? Well, so some of the ones I saw, like I saw a taller Jason Williams, and I'm like, I mean, that's just because they're fancy passers, I guess. That um, is so hanging. This also might be low hanging, uh, but maybe just a a less athletic penny, you know, no, a, a, a tall is... scoring guard yeah. that can facilitate. Um, you know, obviously he doesn't have the bounce penny did, but I, I think there's some similarities in their game. Yeah, an overall skill set. Yeah, so you know, you you talked about you didn't really like him fitting with the Hawks. What where's kind of his best fit? in your opinion. Man, I mean, <laughs> I said the same thing with Edwards, and it's so hard for these top guys because they're teams that need guards so badly. Uh, I mean, the Knicks, the Knicks and Pistons jump out just because they need everybody. Uh, but somewhere that's not those teams uh, that I really like is Washington. I would love to see if Washington, because I think, who knows with how the draft goes, you know, right now they're number nine and they're going to Disney World. Uh, but there's a realistic chance that they win the lottery or get in the top three. And I think that's really a perfect landing spot for him. He has Bradley Beal, assuming they keep him. Uh, Thomas Bryant's an effective player. They have some pieces around him. They've really gotten a lot out of their offense. They've completely abandoned defense there, but they could really develop his offense there under Scott Brooks. Yeah, I don't have much to add. I think you, you pretty much nailed it. Um, so, you know, with that in mind, that kind of wraps LaMelo. Uh, how about we get into James Wiseman? Let's get right into him. Um, so, so, so where do you have him ranked? I think so, you might be a little lower on him than I am. Yeah, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like I'm in the middle ground. I've been told I'm either too high or, or too low, depending on the person. Uh, I have seen people put him in the 20s, which I, I think is kind of absurd. Um, I have him number six. Okay, I'm at four, so really not too different. Um, why, why do you think some people are so low on him? Kind of, I mean, it's really easy to get to be low on guys that you know, and I don't mean this as a slap, but we know nothing about James Wiseman, right? You can't right. judge too much off high school. We've seen, what, two or three games, and there were South Carolina State and Oregon, I think, were the two games. You can't judge off of that. You know, you can't judge a player off of those two games. Um, so it's leading people to see if they saw one thing, there was no chance really for a repeat. You know, it wasn't a chance to say, is this a common thing? Is this, is this actually it? Or is it a fluke? And I think with Wiseman, a lot of, depending on your traits, I guess, as a person and judging talent, it's just kind of giving the benefit of the doubt or not. Yeah, I, I would agree with that, but do you, th- how much do you think has to do with it? Just the the modern day big man not really looking like that anymore. Yeah, that's also a really big thing. Uh, I do think for him, though, he's helped out by the fact that uh, that he's not a traditional big. You know, he's not like there are some in this class that are projected draft picks like Vernon Carey, for example, is a traditional big, in my opinion, uh, or as close to it as, as we will see in this draft. I don't see Wiseman as that. Like he's a rim runner. I think you really get a lot out of him. He's a rim runner plus you get other areas out of him. Right. But I guess people might just look at him and be like, how's he different than, yeah, I don't want to jump too far ahead of comparisons, but how's he different than DeAndre Jordan or Hassan Whiteside, right? So we'll kind of get into that here in a minute. And you touched on the background of him only playing three games this year. Do you want to kind of expand on why that was? Uh, I mean, the NCAA really screwed him over. Uh, but 
He was suspended. There, I think, there's till... a shock. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Time that's ever happened. Nobody has ever heard of that happening. I know this is the <laughs> first time you've ever heard of the NCAA uh, screwing players over in any capacity. It's a shock to me as well. So I get it if your jaw's on the floor right now. Uh, but he was suspended until January, and he kind of just said, F this, I'm out, and uh, just started preparing ever since. And uh, it kind of sounds like Mitchell Robinson's path almost, just a little bit more than Mitchell Robinson did. Didn't they fine him too? Yeah, they they made him pay back everything that Penny had helped him with, which is really weird to me. But So what I, was the deal? They said he took impermissible benefits or something, right? Yeah, I, it, they they called Penny a booster. Um, but what wasn't it weird because like Penny had known him since he was a kid? Yeah, like they were yeah. family friends or something. Early teenager. Yep. Yeah, that's a sticky situation. <laughs> yeah, and, and and it's unfair to judge him off of that at all. I mean, are you really gonna? No, he didn't know he was doing anything four spots wrong. because and like you're not gonna drop him four spots because Penny Hardaway helped you out. Like, dude, I right. would take. Petty Hardaway if he offered it. <laughs> also, very good job with the comparisons to loop them together. I, I like that tr- that built that uh, bridge you built there. <laughs> thank you, thank you. King of the segways. Speaking of segways, um, all right. So Wiseman, I got at seven one, two hundred forty pounds with a seven six wingspan. Uh, Nineteen years old. In those three games, he played about twenty three minutes per game. Uh, Scored 77% of his field goals, uh, didn't make a three, um, and on nine free throw attempts per game, he shot over 70%, just shy of 20 points per game, just shy of 11 rebounds per game uh, to go along with three blocks. So good numbers, obviously, for those three games. So you talked about him being, you know, a a rim-running center. Do do you think he can kind of evolve into more than that, or – you know, that's that's him. No, I, I think he's a like I said, he's a rim running plus guy. So for me, I see him as someone who can uh, you can post him up quick in transition. You know, we see a lot of that with DeAndre Aiden, Joel Embiid. They do a lot of that where they'll be way ahead of the pack. The guard is on him immediately. Just post up the the mismatch, just abuse it and take him to work. And he's got two free points. It's the same, you know, as just taking a transition layup. Uh, and while the post-up is dead, you know, of course, as we've heard, that kind of post-up is super valuable. And I think that's something he can do. He has skill set there. And he can even shoot a nice post-fade. So if you get trapped and he's down on the block, it, it allows you to stretch the defense at least a little bit. Yeah, and you definitely notice him on the floor because of his size and, and that rim-running ability that you just mentioned. So when we're talking about him athletically, you know, runs the floor like a deer. Yeah, he is smooth. Um, I mean, I think I think it was the South Carolina State game, which obviously it's just South Carolina State, but it's in an open court, essentially, uh, because it was in transition. The way he elevates and just how quick he is down the court is absolutely insane to me. Uh, you don't find that at seven foot one. That is, he moves like a six foot five, six foot six guy, and at least in the open court. And to me, that's an incredibly rare skill or gift. Yeah, I, I do want to make sure that we emphasize in the open court. Um, you know, I don't think he, he moves quite as well laterally. Right. I think he's a little bit stiff, which is expected for someone, you know, who's seven one uh, for sure. Um, so let's kind of jump into his, um, you know, his scoring ability um shooting mechanics uh so he's a lefty so automatically a shot's gonna look nice <laughs> um but but what you, you know you kind of talked about him being able to to shoot that that fade away um you know do you think his mechanics lead to him being able to shoot nba threes at some point at a somewhat reliable level yeah, so I think I think anybody at this point can shoot threes. Uh, if you can start at 19 years old, this big man. I've seen Robin Lopez take threes. We saw Salah Mejri shoot threes. Uh, we've seen some names that we don't want to keep going down this list. Shoot threes. There's a guy who literally we're talking about was a 70% free throw shooter. Obviously, only 27 shots, free throw attempts. Uh, but, I mean, at that point, that shows promise, that he was going to float the 65-75 range. 
Uh, and I think Mo Bamba even shot 65% from the line. And he takes multiple threes a game without much hesitation. So I think that there's a really realistic chance for him to become a shooter. Uh, it doesn't have to be, you know, three, four threes a game. But stretching the defense and at least being out there where he makes the first one and then the defense has to think about him a little bit more. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, I, I think we, we've seen him kind of flirt with those 17-footers, and it, it looks good. His, his mechanics look clean. Uh, I do think he'll be able to stretch to, to three-point range at some point. But like you said, maybe not, excuse me, maybe not shooting them at at the level of, you know, Towns, Davis, Porzingis, you know, guys like that. Um, so, you know, his his kind of bread and butter is going to be his finishing ability around the rim, you know, particularly as the role man in, in the pick and roll, um, you know, with his ability to to provide such a huge target between his his height, his length and his uh, leaping ability. So, um, you know, how how much of a threat is that? Um, you know, to provide that kind of vertical gravity. Yeah, so we talked about that with Okongwu, the vertical gravity and how much it impacts the game. And I, I think, not to like get ahead of ourselves with the comparisons, but I see a lot of Tyson Chandler on offense with him in that regard with how well he runs in the pick and roll. Uh, and if you remember with Dallas, I mean, obviously he was with the Mavs during their, when they had the number one offense ever, only to be topped by themselves. Um, and it just completely shut shut the defense down uh, and made them rotate inside and leave shooters open. I think that just matters so much in this NBA uh, that if he becomes an effective pick and roll man where he's elite as a lob catcher uh, and he can space the floor. I mean, we're talking about a really lethal player that I think could be an all-star at that point. And, and that's with just like one, three a game, not talking about, you know, spot up shooter left, you know, anytime, but just once a game. I think he's got an all-star ability. I agree. And and it sounds easy, right, to be like, oh, well, yeah, he's he's huge and he can jump, so pick and roll threat, right? But, you know, we didn't always see it with him. You know, and like you just look back to, to high school, he wasn't always quick to, to roll hard to the pain and to really look for those opportunities. And then once he got to Memphis, I think, you know, they kind of drilled into his brain like, you're unstoppable if you just go hard to the basket and we throw it anywhere within the same zip code as the basket, you're, you're going to come down with it. So, um, you know, it's not something that all big men like to do. Yeah. And there was a play against, I want to say it was against Oregon because that's the most watched game of him, of course, um, that I think it was Boogie Ellis threw a pass to him. And I mean, dude, it looked like it was going to hit the top of the backboard and somehow it just grazed off his fingertips. Like if you have someone with that athleticism uh, that knows how to roll, I think it's just truly invaluable. And unfortunately we got robbed of seeing it. Uh, I really think that we would have been able to talk at a much higher level of him or excuse me, not like that, but talk about him more highly um, just as a roller. I mean, that area is elite, I think an upside for sure. How about his ability to just finish around the basket in general? Yeah, obviously he's going to be going up and, and finishing lobs, but, um, you know, just just kind of his his touch and finishing ability within, you know, five feet of the basket. Uh, so, I mean, I like it. I don't know. I can't speak to it at a super high level just because the uh, the film that we were uh, granted. Limited to. Call yeah. It that. yeah. And But I think, though, like, like I said – He's the kind of guy who I would trust if you have him ahead of the break on a mismatch. No problem. Absolutely no issue taking a smaller defender. Even if he's like 6'8", I think he could still abuse him. Um, however, we didn't really get to see that against seven-footers and all that. So it's really hard to say where he stands on finishing over guys of the same height, in my opinion. Because I don't think there's anybody who matched his size in the three games that he played. Well, and that's the thing, like there's not that many people who can match that size and athleticism, yeah. even in the NBA, there's just a handful. Right. So, um, so I think that obviously bodes well for him, but you know, again, just from the three games we saw, I saw the ability to finish with both hands. Um, you know, we talked about, he's a lefty, but he can finish with his right and he's comfortable doing so. Um, and, and again, he, he finished, uh, yeah, three games, but he finished 77% of his shots. 
you know, you don't do that by accident, even against poor competition. I, I think that's going to be an easy plus for him. I think we're going to see him as, you know, a guy who's consistently sitting around the top, what, five to eight percent in terms of field goal percentage. I think this is a pretty reasonable thing yeah. to, to see. Yeah. And and if you remember when DeAndre Jordan was doing that, I mean, he said like, I mean, obviously Wilt exists, but if you look at non-Wilt players, I think he set the highest field goal percentage. Uh, and that was when he was really good at defense too. And if you had taken away the defense made him average, like for just the sake of James Wiseman's argument, if you put an average defender that shoots 70 or 60, well, you know, 65% from the field, I think everybody's taking that, right? Like if you're guaranteed on that, for you're sure. 100%. That even if he can, you know, even if he's played off in the on defense, anything like that, you have a guy who's not going to miss shots. That's still the most important thing in basketball. And again, that just adds to the vertical spacing element to his game. And you just put four shooters around that, and you know that's going to be tough to defend for sure. Um, So you kind of talked about his post fade earlier, but can you kind of expand on what you saw out of him in the post in general? So it was only like two plays. So it was, it was very limited. Yeah, and it was even in college, the the, yeah. the post game is dying. Yeah, unless so, you're burning carry. Yeah, <laughs> who eventually we'll get to. Uh, yes, <laughs> how much we talked about him. Great footwork, by uh, the way. Yeah, he. Uh, so I mean, his post fade has nice touch. Uh, if I remember correctly, one of them, one of the shots was passing up two open shooters, but he has a nice touch on on the shot, which is uh, indicated by his free throw percentage. Uh, The form didn't really stick out one way or another to me. So I think just having the touch really just outweighs anything in that situation. Uh, But I think just in general, that's something where who knows if he could develop a dark kind of fade. I mean, if he develops a dark fade, he might be the number (laughs) one. Yeah. (laughs) But even Bosch, like Bosch or LaMarcus Aldridge, like those guys have have great, great fadeaways out of the post that – you know, are very practical. Yeah, and and Aldridge, that's something. If uh, Wiseman adds a bunch of strength, like uh, realistically, uh, to fill out that plus five wingspan, um, I mean, you're looking at someone like Aldridge. I think to an offensive uh, impact where I mean, he makes a living on mid range, uh, obviously, but just overall effectiveness where he bumps guys off of him. Uh, and I'm just talking about in the mid range game, not not overall, of course, but. Um, the way he bumps players off him with that strength is really big for his shot creation. And if Wiseman can learn how to do that, I mean, it, it opens up so much for him. Absolutely. Um, I want to revisit a couple things that you said about his his post game. And then one other thing that I kind of noticed. So, you know, you kind of talked about he, he passed up two open shooters. I, I don't really see a guy having great court vision and and great passing ability. You know, we talked about one of the things that we loved about Okongwu was his ability to do that. Um, And obviously, you know, Wiseman, not so much. Do do you think it's just he's not willing to make those passes or he doesn't see it? I mean, it's hard to know for sure. Uh, I mean, I would see I'm in the middle. I thought of this earlier, you know, Precious uh, Achua. I've seen a lot of the same things from him. And maybe it is just something that they both just have in common. But there's also, uh, I, I don't know how to say his name, but Lester Keen, however you say it, Keen, Quinoa. I don't know how to say it. I know it's not Quinoa, but that's more of my, <laughs> uh, maybe I'm just hungry. But um, those three, I've seen a lot of it where they get a little bit of tunnel, tunnel vision. And, and maybe it was with Wiseman, we only had three game sample size. It could be chemistry. Um, it could be just coaching in general. So it's really hard to say for him. And I mean, Personally, I'm given the benefit of the doubt that it might have been coaching in chemistry combined, where how many practices did they have at a high level, you know, sure. and knowing the offense, things like that uh, could completely change in the NBA where how he's viewed as a passer. Now, I don't see him as a, you know, like three assists per game. Maybe one is an out, is a good outcome. Right. And I, I just I wanted to bring that back up because I, I think passing the ball out of the post is an underrated skill. Um, and so if that's not something he possesses, you know, even even less of a reason to post someone up out of the post. Right. So, you know, you see guys like Jokic who who make a living off of that. And that's kind of one of the only reasons people still want to post up is because you're able to create and facilitate for others out of that area. 
Um, something else that I noticed about him, and I, this may just be nitpicky. You can tell me if you notice this too, is, you know, he'll, he'll come down and transition and he does an excellent job of sealing and he's there. And, you know, it's not entirely on him. If, if you're, if you see James Wiseman sealing in the middle of the lane, you get him the ball. But there were times where his teammates didn't get him the ball and they drove the lane and he didn't really relocate. He just kind of waited there. Yeah. Um, yep, he gave us. Sorry. Oh, I said he, he gave up almost in, in some of those plays where he's like, crap, I didn't get the ball. And then by the time he's finished that thought, somebody's in his face. <laughs> well, and, and you're also leaving the, the defender in the lane as well. So like, it just makes it harder. You know, if, if he sees that, and relocates quickly, you know, that gives him an opportunity to receive a pass and, you know, finish, finish with a duck. So again, maybe just nitpicking and not something that's entirely his fault, but something that he's, you know, just a nuance that he's going to want to keep in mind. No. And, and, and I mean, that's something to do with his questionable feel. Uh, I mean, that's a pretty simple play, you know, the dump off out of the drive is a really common play and it's a super effective play for bigs. Um, I mean, we see Luca do a, plenty uh inside the paint where he'll just drag drag everybody out get two defenders and someone's bright wide open under the rim and that's a super important skill that's a two-way street while we, it often looks like it's just the ball handler's duty it's a lot of the big man knowing how to step off and deceive the defender definitely and and we'll kind of continue talking about his his iq as we get into the defensive portion here so um you know, when, when you look at a guy like Wiseman, with his skill set, we, we kind of talked about him being a little limited in, in terms of his lateral mobility. So he's he's more of a guy that is kind of patrolling the rim and, and being that rim protector. So let's just start with that, his, his ability to rotate weak side and block shots. Um, pretty high level, in my opinion. Yeah, no, I mean, he does a good job on that, and, and he knows how to use his physical tools. Uh, like, he knows he's seven, he has a 7'6 wingspan, which a lot of guys, they don't they don't utilize it. They'll, they'll just kind of, uh, I, they play like they're square. And for him, he needs to continue kind of knowing how to, without making it negative, without gambling too much, saying, oh, I have a long wingspan, I can overcome this. He knows how to utilize it and um, and make sure that, you know, defenders pay for, going around his area uh, in his zone. Yeah. And, you know, just getting vertical and, but, but his timing, I think is, 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 uh, is good too. It's, he doesn't luck into blocks. He's got a good feel for that rotating coming up and blocking the shot. Yeah. You know, he reads plays well on the defensive end as, at the rim. Uh, like at the rim, he knows when guys are going up for shots. I don't feel like he's got burned terribly by, you know, pump fakes as much uh up fakes in general just like you know dump offs anything like that uh too hard but he has a really good like you said his timing is incredible yeah so let, let's talk about him in in kind of pick and roll situations because that's something that we're gonna see him in quite a bit um to me he's he's more of a drop coverage defender in the pick and roll but I'll be honest, I, I saw some ability to at least, um, you know, I, I don't think you want him full-on switching at the next level. Um, but, you know, when, when they call ice, for example, and, and they kind of, you know, try to funnel the ball handler, I think he's he's capable of doing those things. Yeah, uh, like you said, I mean, you don't want – I don't feel comfortable with him switching heavy, like, onto the perimeter. You, you just don't want him on an island. Right, and – like there, I think it was the Oregon game. I, I feel like when in doubt, it was the Oregon game. But he, <laughs> there was a high pick and roll, and I mean, he way overcommitted uh, to the guy on the three point line, and I mean, the entire middle just opened up. Uh, there was it wasn't even a, and the crazy thing is, it wasn't even the ball handler like that I'm talking about. It wasn't just him. Uh, they put him in the pick and roll, and he went to the third option, which is very difficult to do. <laughs> but, so I, I do have questions about him in the pick and roll. Uh, like you said, the further away from the basket he is, the less confident I am in him on that area. Now, if you're doing a, I mean, drop coverage, I mean, you said it perfectly. Like, if you, the closer you are to the rim, the better he's going to be. Uh, you know, other than, 
you know, sticking around the basket, um, you know, in terms of off-ball defense, how how well does he see the game when he's not just a weak side rim protector? Like, if he's the defensive anchor and having to call things out, you know, is that something you feel comfortable projecting him to? See, I want to give him the benefit of the doubt, but honestly, I don't even remember too much of that action happening in, in those games. Uh, I don't know. Was there something that stuck out for you in those? I like, mean... Because we have high school as well, but, uh, I mean, to an extent that can be taken with a grain of salt, you know? Yeah. So I, I'm interested in what you think with that. It, it's tough because, again, we saw three games of him, and, and I did think he, he could be a little bit slow to rotate, and, you know, there are going to be times where he's going to have to close out on on the corner or, or something like that. Um, and, and I think he, he can be slow to, to see those things. So, but again, he had three games at the college level. So um, I'm, I'm only a little concerned about it because I, you kind of talked about his feel earlier, you know, does he have the feel for it on the defensive end? Like, I'm, I'm just not sure. You know, I think there are things that, that, we, we can project, you know, we, and, and we see the athleticism and the length. and But, you know, then there are times where it's, okay, can, can he see it? Yeah, and I think you see, and I think you notice it on the perimeter the most, right? Like, that's where you feel the least comfortable with him understanding what's about to happen is right. when he's on uh, And so, I mean, he's a two-level defender. You know, you can stay inside the two-point, the three-point line, but the second he crosses that, I mean, it's, it's really hit or miss. Yeah. And some of that's experience, too, like we said. But I think the biggest question mark for Wiseman, at least coming into Memphis, was the motor. You know, people saw him take plays off and, you know, kind of just it didn't look like he he really loved being on the court all the time. Um, But I, I do think he started to answer those questions a little bit. I think once the competition got better around him. Um, you know, we saw someone who was a lot more engaged and we saw that motor kind of turn itself up a little bit, you know, getting up and down the floor in transition and, um, you know, looking, looking engaged. Yeah. And I didn't really feel like it was a major question mark. Uh, I mean, bigs, top tier bigs like that have been getting questioned uh, for motor, I mean, if you remember, DeAndre Aiden had that issue, um, and it kind of has hurt him in the NBA. He doesn't, you know, play 100%. I think though, if you have the tools, you can almost—I don't want to say you can afford to have a weaker motor, but I mean, you have more leeway. You know, DeAndre Aiden this year, for example, rookie year versus second year in motor was just a world of a difference. And it's—it's it's going to be about coaching, about where his motor ends up. If he goes to a team that has a reputation of, you know, poor development of centers and things like that, or their team is just constantly in the negative, it may not develop well. And depending on, you know, who's in whatever team, it really may be toxic for him and it may completely kill his development. Whereas if he goes to Golden State, you know damn well he's not taking a single playoff. That's like he's not going to play if that's the case. Right. All right. So, you know, you talked about you have him ranked six. I have him ranked fourth. I'm assuming he's your your second big man behind Okongwu. Yeah. So why do you why do you have him there? What why do you think we like him more than everyone else? So I mean it's it all comes down to the unknowns. Uh, I buy into him being a pretty all around big relative, uh, you know, to what the league looks like. Obviously, he's not going to be like a Jokic all around. Uh, I do buy into his rim protection. I'm pretty big on that, and I do buy into his ability to at least create or not create, excuse me, space the floor from 15 plus feet, which for a big man, that's as much as you can ask for. That's the minimum. I think if you're going to ask for floor spacing, get him to shoot some mid range, get him to shoot post fades, things like that. Uh, I think that has value and and he's super athletic, which always helps both ends of the court. Yeah, I, I, I agree with you. And for me, it's, I think his floor is higher than people think. I think, and, you know, we're kind of blending into the comparisons here, but, you know, I, I think at worst you're, you're talking about somebody who has the same skill set as DeAndre Jordan, Hassan Whiteside, um, Andre Drummond, 
you know, guys who are rim runners who can go up and finish lobs, but also protect the rim on the back end. How conducive is that to winning? We're not really sure. You know, we we kind of see the the league moving to this, you know, three point shootout type of type of league. But who's to say that in five years, you know, posting up won't be all the rage again. So, um, you know, I I think if you put the right pieces around him, you know, he could really amplify a team that, you know, like, I mean, the Rockets don't have a chance of getting him, but I'm just saying, you know, they kind of got rid of Capella and they were like, Oh, I, you know, if we just spread the floor with shooters, I'm like, well, if you put Wiseman on a team like that, you know, at the worst, he's Capella. And at his best, you know, he's he's a guy who can contribute to that shooting. Yep. Yeah, and and the Capella, I, and I wouldn't call him comparison, but I mean the Capella role. No, but but yeah, the yeah, Capella. And role. I wanted to clarify, you're not comparing. Uh, but the Capella role, that rim runner, it's gotten super popular. Uh, I mean that's that's in right now. That kind of stuff is in. There's people who love Mitchell Robinson for that reason. Those kind of guys. That helps so much uh, on both ends that, I mean, it's just, it's one of the most valued while, you know, it's, the center is dying, quote unquote. Uh, it's really not because if you have a valuable rim or if you have a rim running center, I mean, that's super valuable to a team on both ends. Yeah. And I think, you know, part of the reason the Mavericks made their jump, uh, you know, this past year, obviously Luca was phenomenal, but yeah, you know, Porzingis's ability as a shot blocker and a rim protector can't be understated, right? Or overstated? Yeah, can't be. <laughs> can't be underestimated. You were earlier with it. <laughs> <laughs> it's one of the two. Uh, <laughs> we've been recording a long time. <laughs> um, but the point is, you know, rim protectors are still super valuable in today's day and age. So I, I do buy Wiseman developing a shot a little bit. You know, obviously the IQ is going to develop, and and when those things happen, you know, I, I think we're going to see a guy that people are going to say, oh wow, why why didn't we have him ranked as a top five to seven player in this class? Yeah, and do you think he has? I know you said you don't see his floor as low as a lot of other people. Do you think he has a like? What's his degree of bustability? I guess to make up a word. <laughs> uh. Like here, I'll, I'll give you three players. I'll give you three risky players, okay. and tell them who's the who's got the, the biggest bust range. They're actually uh, spoiler alert, all consecutive in my board. Uh, James Wiseman, Obi Toppin, Den- Denny Adia. Oof. Like, would you put Wiseman number one? Is there an argument in your head for Wiseman being the most having the most bust ability? Uh, like the lowest. I board. think. Yeah, I think the argument could be made just because I, I I do think, you know, we talked about how Wiseman could really thrive in certain environments. He could really struggle in others, right? If he doesn't have somebody who can get him the ball, right? Like if DeAndre Jordan didn't have Chris Paul, was he ever going to be DeAndre Jordan? We don't know. No. So <laughs> if, you know, if Wiseman goes to a spot where, you know, they – they just don't have the infrastructure around him. They don't have someone who can get him the ball. You know, I don't think he's a guy who can really create for himself. And so, you know, I, we talk about Hassan Whiteside. I do think that's his floor. Um, and, you know, he's not the most desirable player anymore, to be honest with you. Like, is he yeah. good? Yeah, he's good. But, again, it comes down to how likely are you to win with that player on your roster? Yep, exactly. I mean, there were so many times where Hassan Whiteside would get 17 rebounds, you know, 12 points, four blocks. They would lose by 20. And it would be because uh, Whiteside would intentionally, to get a block, he would go out of position. And so many times he would not get a block out of possession, but the other team would just score. And you have to hope that's not what happens with Wiseman. I mean, I do trust Wiseman's ability near the rim, like we said. Um, But I mean, I also did with Whiteside when he was in Miami. He was, you know, you couldn't approach him in Miami. So, who knows what area you're getting from him. Like it, it could, it's so such a wide range, it's, excuse me, wide range uh, that you really don't know. And it depends on who he's drafted by. For sure. So what, what do you think is his best fit? 
Man, there's two teams that jump out. I mean, Golden State, 100%. I think Steve Kerr uh, and, you know, working with that, with Raymond, um, just all, everything around there is just perfect for him. Uh, and really, both teams would be lucky, I think, in that situation where uh, Wiseman falls into a good team's lap that just happened to be injured. Uh, another team that I really like as a fit is Minnesota. And then if he str- if he slips, I'll go ahead and say Charlotte. I mean, Charlotte needs a big. Uh, we've seen what they've done with their guards. They need someone up top who's a long-term fit next to Devontae Graham. Uh, and I think that they could fit really well offensively with that pick and roll like we had talked about. Yeah, Minnesota scares me a little bit just because it definitely I don't think him or Cat can defend on the perimeter. Right, we talked about that's the reason Okongwu would be a good fit in Minnesota, but I definitely see Golden State. I definitely see uh, Charlotte. I could I could even see Cleveland if they could move Drummond for the. I'm assuming he picks up his option, and if he does, um, you know, maybe moving him for the last year of his contract and just replacing him with someone who's again kind of similar but more on the same timeline as Colin Sexton and Darius Garland and and those guys. Yeah, and, and that, when I was saying, like, you know, the toxic culture kind of stuff, I, I kind of was referring to Cleveland in my head just because, uh, <laughs> well, and, and not, like in a, not like in a negative way, but, I mean, they, their development outside of Kyrie and LeBron just hasn't been strong. Uh, right. Colin Sexton's a nice player, but how much of that necessarily is development? I mean, he came in right away and shot the lights out, which was, biggest, was his biggest question mark. Um, and, and for a team that needs perimeter defense, he obviously doesn't help there. I do worry, though, with a lot of their habits that some of those players have formed that it would spread on him, especially on, under Andre Drummond, because Drummond's been under a lot of scrutiny for having bad habits, you know, and uh, that, that is a risky landing spot. However, if he hits, I mean, Cleveland might be the number one fit for him. Yeah, absolutely. Like, if he could define the off of that. All right, well... Uh, don't worry if you're a, a Dallas Mavericks fan and you're listening. We will get to players that the Mavericks have a shot of drafting. Don't worry. Um, but for now, I think that pretty much wraps up this week's or this day's. Uh, we don't really have a set recording schedule, so we'll release these as we as we feel like. <laughs> the quarantine and all that, the virus and everything determines uh, what our schedule is. <laughs> the longer right, so. this goes on these podcasts are going to go like the quicker we're going to be pumping these out (laughs) there we go so um anyway thank you again for tuning in uh you can find richard on twitter at maps draft uh you can find me at jared underscore cats 30 both our links will be in the uh show notes um if you're listening on a podcast uh service like apple Podcasts or spotify or something like that Please go ahead and give us a uh, five-star rating. Uh, Leave any constructive feedback uh, as well. We're always open to um, to any uh, suggestions. And uh, if you have any questions for us, um, go ahead and and shoot us a tweet. Um, You know, we'd love to to maybe do a little mailbag at the end of these and and get to your guys' questions. So, um, you know, we want to be as interactive as possible. So, um, you know, do all those things, and uh, this will be a fun little community. Yeah, and I'm glad you found out your uh, your Twitter handle. handle Thank finally. you. Yeah, <laughs> I had to memorize it. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Talk to you guys next time.